Hi, this is Danielle from The Jealous Curator, and this is episode 148 of Art for Your Ear. This episode is brought to you by SachiArt.com, the world's largest curated online art gallery, offering original artwork and limited edition prints by independent artists from around the world. So my guest today has both beautiful work and a beautiful, inspiring story. Kelsey Grazier is a Vancouver-based artist who I had the pleasure of meeting last month because our work was in a group show together. I kind of knew her story, but not in detail. We ended up talking for about an hour that night, and I knew I had to have her on the podcast so that you could hear her story too. Hear her story. Hmm. Which is kind of a weird way to put it because her story and work revolves around being deaf. Ready? Calling Kelsey in Vancouver. Hi, Kelsey. Hi, Danielle. I'm very happy that we're doing this. And lucky you. So we're doing this with video, and we'll get into why in a minute. There's no makeup. I did brush my hair, and I'm slightly dressed more than normal, so that's an improvement for me. Yeah, I thought about that when I was straightening my hair this morning. I went, this is kind of strange to be dressing up for a video (laughs) interview, but, you know... (laughs) Well, you look great. Um, I, on the other hand, I'm a little shabby, but that's okay. I've got my coffee. I'm happy. Okay, so we have actually met in person, which is a couple of times now, which is exciting because often people on the podcast, I always say, oh, we've never met. We have actually met, and your story is so inspiring and so amazing, and so is your work. Win-win. So um, I want to talk to you all about your story the story that I already know, but I want to go back even further and talk about um, what you were like as a kid, um, and um, and then we'll just kind of go through your story chronologically to where you are today. So first of all, where did you grow up, and were you making art like crazy or no? Yeah, um, so I grew up just outside of Vancouver in a small um, farming and fishing town. And I still live there now. And I was, yeah, I was pretty artsy as a kid. I come from an artsy family. Mm -hmm. And so my aunts and uh, my mom were always creating. My mom had a very creative job. So pretty much everything in the house was handmade by her. What what was her job? Um, She worked for uh, the Workers' Compensation Board. And at the time, they had a rehab unit for people who had work injuries. And so she's in the hand unit. And so people who needed to rehab their hands, she they made things. Wow. Yeah, so she would do sewing and pottery and, oh, I don't know, everything, woodworking. That's that was so pretty cool. cool. Yeah, it was basically a dream job for her. Yeah, no kidding. Was that in Richmond? I know there was the... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I used to drive yeah. past that place all the time. Yeah. What a cool way of doing rehab instead of just, you know... Exer- like exercises and stuff, actually using your hands. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love it. So your house was filled with like the extra supplies that came home? Um, yeah, yeah, a lot of that. But I didn't really, I was more of like a drawing kid. Mm. So I like to, to sit down and draw and um, paint. And when I was nine, I started acrylic painting lessons, like private lessons with a local artist here. And I actually saw my cousin doing that, and I went, I want to do that, too. (laughs) (laughs) So um, my parents were very supportive, and I did that basically from nine years old all the way until grade 12. Wow. Once a week. 
Wow, yeah. that's so cool. Yeah. And did you stay with the same teacher all the way through? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She's um, like, yeah, she, she must be like family now. She is, yeah. yeah. And she's still doing it. She has all these um, past students who are now, their kids are starting to go to her, which is very cool. Wow, that is really cool. And so, and then you were still doing stuff in school. Like, were you kind of the art kid in school too? Yeah, I definitely took all the art courses I could, all, everything, um, and painting and drawing. And I did. I was on the yearbook, which back back then was huge. Like it was literally, basically from scratch, the print shop designing everything, and then to execution. But we were pretty lucky that we had professors that were practicing artists as well. So you really got to see into their past and this teacher used to work in a, a print shop and wow. what school did you go to um i went to delta secondary which is wow. in latin yeah, so yeah. Not, not, not an art school but just so happened that these teachers were just practicing artists and really really great that is lucky yeah and fantastic yeah. um okay and so Here's the here's the skew that nobody will know up until now is that, well, how do you like? Would you say that you're deaf? Would you say, how do you explain that? <laughs> yeah, how do you explain yeah. that? Yeah, so, hearing loss. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of different words for that, and I think we'll get into that a bit later. But um, basically, when I was three, I was diagnosed with a mild to moderate hearing loss, and so. Um, at that time, things are a bit different now, but at that time, my parents were kind of having to seek out what was going on because I wasn't talking right away. I was, but I wasn't, not as much as my brother that they could compare me to. Um, and so there's this statistic that 90% of deaf and hard of hearing children are born to hearing parents. Wow. Which is huge. Yeah. So often the parents are having, back then, um, they're having to seek out um, a diagnosis and so when they realized oh, oh okay it's just hearing loss we we can manage that that's that's okay um, whereas now parents are finding out the day that their child is born with newborn hearing screening so the the reaction is quite different it's more of a shock mm. um, but so my parents were very um, they're very supportive and basically took the approach that it, nothing can stop me and I'm going to um, use all the supports that I can, meaning hearing aids and FM microphone system in school. And um, they enrolled me in early intervention for some support with um, for them as well as for me to learn how to communicate best. Mm -hmm. Do you know what the and, percentage of your hearing loss was? Like, could they were they able to yeah, determine that? It's hard to uh, relay it in percentages, but a mild hearing loss is. I would say like a 20% loss, mm -hmm. so not as much. And then, um, I, so let's say there's a scale. So there's hearing and then there's mild and then there's moderate, severe, uh, and then profound. So profound, you're not hearing anything. Okay. So I was towards the top end of hearing quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And the type of hearing loss I had uh, meant that I could hear these higher frequencies that um, speech sounds are in. So I was able to speak quite well eventually. Um, 
and not have as much of a deaf accent as some people might talk about now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so they, they found all this support for you. Did you do sign language at that stage or not then? Yeah, we did some sign language, but um, I could hear quite well mm-hmm. with the hearing aids. It was almost perfect hearing with the hearing aids in ideal situations, like quiet, um, not a lot of background noise. So we did do some sign language support um, for facilitating language, but not, I didn't stay, it didn't pick up. My family didn't learn sign language. Um, And I never, um, until later, I never identified as a a deaf person. Mm -hmm. I was definitely a hard of hearing child that was functioning in the hearing world quite well. Right, right. And so school and stuff, was that fine? Yeah, yeah, I was a very good student, and <laughs> I got almost straight A's, not quite, but I <laughs> definitely... We're going to have to talk about those B's, Kelsey. <laughs> <laughs> and so when... I, okay, so... Okay, let's... So I'm going to... I want to go back and forth between hearing things and art things. So you are... You're functionally fine. You are painting. You're doing your classes since you were nine in acrylic painting. Um... And so as you're heading towards the end of high school, are you thinking you're going to go to art school? Was that your plan? I, it was interesting because I knew I had a talent for art, but I didn't feel confident in the talent, if that makes sense. Oh, yes. That really <laughs> makes sense. I told you that I went to first year marine biology, right? Oh, marine biology. Yeah. Wow. Because I was, I was the art kid, too. I worked on the yearbook. I totally know what you mean, but I didn't have those awesome profs, so we were just totally winging it. And, um, and then, yeah, it came time to go to university, and I went for marine biology because exactly the same thing. It just lack of confidence and also just like, well, who goes, who gets to be an artist when they grow up? That's crazy talk. So what did you do? So I went traveling. Mm. I went to Europe. And I, I have some distant family over there. So I went and stayed with them, having only met them once, and then traveled alone around Europe, and then um, came back and enrolled to the local college, Langara. Oh, yeah. And I, I took art history and geography and um, not fine arts yet. And then the next year, I went to Europe again <laughs> because I loved it so much. And then I had applied to the fine arts program at Langara and got in. Did you find that out while you were in Europe? Yeah, yeah. I did. I did. Where and were I, you? I, Where were you when you found out? Um, you know, I think I was in Spain. I can't remember. I think I was in Spain. And um, back then, you know, computers and emails and stuff weren't as... <laughs> as here. So yeah. my mom had emailed and saying, oh, you got a letter that you've been enrolled and accepted. And I was kind of nonchalant about it. Like, I didn't really know what to expect. Right. Um, so I was like, okay, yeah, I guess that's what I'll do now. I'll, I'll go. <laughs> but when I started the program, oh my God, it was amazing. It was so amazing because you could take everything. So I did sculpture and design and painting and ceramics woodworking, metalworking, and so that was really eye-opening and so much fun. Yeah, and it's probably so smart that you took that bit of time before going, you know, just to sort of figure yourself out more and, you know, get that little bit of confidence and then appreciate it so much once you got there. For sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then so when you graduated, 
what were you, did you work as a designer? Did we talk about that? What did you do when you graduated? So I graduated after two years with a diploma in fine arts from Langara. And then I used that to transfer to Emily Carr University. Okay. Yeah, so I I think for me that was the best thing because Langara gave the foundation of technical and then going to Emily Carr, it's conceptual. So I feel like I had the best of both worlds having those two years in each place. Oh, that is perfect. That's what I wish so much I had had. The foundation of like how to do it, like just how to make this stuff is so important before you get into the conceptual because when you just get thrown into conceptual and you're 18 and you have no ideas, mixed with the fact that you don't know how to do ceramics or sculpture, it's a bit of a mess. That's amazing. Okay, so you go to Emily Carr. Did you major in painting? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I majored in painting and I had just done art an art history course in Italy before I went to Emily Carr. So that oh was, gosh. yeah, that was a very inspirational. So when I came back and I'm at Emily Carr and I'm going, you know, everyone else is doing abstract work. And all the work I had done when I was younger was realistic and I didn't know how to do abstract. So I, I really wanted to, I was very interested in that. So what I started to do was take the architecture from Europe and the memories I had of that architecture and translated it into abstraction. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So I, I took the lines and the planes of the buildings and um, tried to recreate a feeling of memories and have it be faded and not not so clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's kind of where I learned how to abstract and by taking something real and concrete and then breaking it down and breaking it down. And um, it was there that the professors encouraged me to think about the concept behind my work. So why was I painting what I was painting and what what does it matter? What are, what are the choices I'm making? And so um, I was encouraged to look at the substrate, so what I was painting on. Mm. And so they're basically like, why are you painting on a canvas? What does that have to do with architecture? And so I switched from canvas to uh, vellum, which is the architectural paper. Yeah, that's when the architects used to use in their process. They would layer the vellum on top of each other to make the building pop. And so now they use AutoCAD, obviously. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I definitely wanted to allude to that. But I was using acrylic on vellum, and I'm a bit, I guess, um, a, a perfectionist. And the paper was buckling. And so I was just, I can't, I can't do this. It's Especially with architecture that's, like, so perfect and whatever. You yes. can't have a buckle. I understand. Yeah. yeah. No, definitely not. So... <laughs> So I switched to oil, and then I switched to mylar, which is a bit thicker. Mm. Are you still working in oil now? Yes. Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. It's so yeah. washy and dreamy. I would not have thought yeah, it was oil. I'm, yeah. I'm manipulating it quite a bit. But um, the oil, I just, I'm in love with it. I can't not use it anymore. So did it you start that in off. school? The oil? Yeah. Okay. The oil. <clears throat> yeah. And so were you kind of 
like, was it an aha moment? And you were like, okay, here we go. This is, yeah. yeah. And have you ever gone yeah. back to realistic work at all? Um, I did a bit later after art school. Um, but that was more to please other people. Mm. And it was commission-based. So I found, um, okay, so let's go back a bit. When I was finishing uh, my praxis painting at Emily Carr, I was starting to explore light and um, and painting together. And so I'm really interested in light, and I want to start exploring that now later. But um, light is important to deaf people because you need to see to be able to hear. Right. And so I created a, a light box painting, which mm, was... That sounds um, amazing. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. It, I definitely felt it wasn't received in the way that I had wanted it to be, but I knew what I was doing, and I, <laughs> I want to keep, I want to go back to that. But, um, yeah, so I painted on the mylar, and I layered it, and I created this light box, kind of like Jeff Wall's um, large photograph mm-hmm. light boxes. Yeah. I was very inspired by that, and he's a local Vancouver photographer. And um, so by, by doing that... Um, that was kind of the end. And after finishing school, I was, I was burnt out. I was done. And so I stopped painting for a little bit, went traveling again. I went to Bali and volunteered at a deaf school there. And, um, when I came back, I kind of went, well, I I guess I'll do commissions for other people and paint in a way that is so well received because they understand it. Right. Which... And you want to make money, so you're trying to figure that out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then um, at that time, I went back to school to become a high school art teacher. Oh. Yeah. So I went and did a year program, which was amazing. When you go into a teaching program, they really get you to analyze your morals and your ethics because you're raising this future generation. And so it was very um, eye-opening and inspiring. Wow. And, um, yeah, it was, it was good. So at that point, I had actually just, well, all the way through, I had done a lot of public speaking to parents of newly diagnosed deaf children. And um, I, I was asked to speak at this conference. And I said, yeah, sure, I was so busy that I wasn't really thinking and didn't look into the fine details of it. Well, it turned, <laughs> turned out it was to over 200 people from around the world oh that, that were, uh, they were deaf educators from around the world. Wow. So I, yeah, that was. <laughs> was that, that when was you were scary. doing the teacher's college or were you already finished? I, that was just before actually. Okay. Okay. So. Um, that was a pivotal moment of going, wow, look at all these people supporting deaf children around the world, all these different cultures. And it's so fascinating. And all the sign language, which I didn't really have a, um, a view into. I didn't really feel deaf enough to use sign. So seeing this was so eye-opening and 
I went, okay, I'm going to go become a teacher for the deaf and hard of hearing. And so I did that. To be a teacher for the deaf, you have to be a teacher first. So I did the high school art. And um, I taught darkroom photography and painting, which was so much fun. Amazing. Oh, my gosh. So... So how long was the program to be to be able to teach deaf kids? That was a two years master's. Holy and, cow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've had way too much school. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's so good. Like it's also, um, you are a perfectionist. It's also targeted and specific for what you wanted to do and totally shaped. It's so perfect. Um, okay, so in all of that, I know that at some point you lost your hearing almost completely, right? Yeah. What, at yeah. what point was that? So it's, I don't know what you call it, but ironic maybe, but it was <laughs> when I started the deaf education program was when I lost my hearing. So I was studying deafness while becoming deaf. and Oh my gosh, that's... What were you thinking? Were you scared? Were you frustrated? Were you, like, what was going through your head? Yeah, all the, all the emotions. It, when I first lost my hearing, though, I thought I had a cold. You know when your ears feel plugged and you can't hear very well, it's kind of fuzzy? Yeah. It was, it was that. So, and a week later, oh, I'm, I'm not sick. I'm not, I don't have a cold. What What's going on? So, I went to the doctor and they gave me a steroid called prednisone and that was to try and reverse the effects of hearing loss which in that time um, I lost all my hearing and then got it back to where it was not initially but what I had lost so I had lost quite a bit and in those three days that I had lost everything that was really scary and I developed tinnitus, which is ringing. It's like um, like a phantom sound in your head. And your brain's going, oh, I used to hear something, but I can't anymore, so I'm going to give you sound. And for me, it was like radio static and, and an old fire alarm at the same time. Oh, my God. It's like that instantly, when, when we met and you told me that story, like I almost got an instant headache. <laughs> just, you know, just because you can't turn it off. No, you can't turn it off. So it's it's 24-7 oh. all the time, all the time. So that, for me, becoming deaf wasn't, I don't think would have been the hard part. It was definitely the tinnitus, which you can't turn off. Mm. You can't get away from. And it makes it hard to focus and to have clarity, really. Yeah. Oh so, that, so at that point, were you still working? I was going to school, so I was studying and doing my master's, and that was very challenging. But luckily, the professors were so understanding. And I also had a classmate who was culturally deaf, so she used sign language, and she had interpreters in the class. So that was my experience of learning sign language, is watching them and then hearing what I could and kind of taking it all in and, and absorbing it. Oh, man, it was it was hard. It was very I cannot even imagine. And you must have just been, yeah, like being deaf like and quiet, 
would be one thing. Like at that mm-hmm. stage, could you read lips or did you never really have to? I, I could. Yeah, yeah, I was very, very good. That was just an innate thing. Actually, okay. as a baby, apparently I crawled on my back so I could see everything. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I was probably reading lips back then, yeah, <laughs> not that, even knowing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, that is crazy. So how long did you live with that, the, you know, the static? I still have it. I still have it today. Yeah, it's never gone away. And so I went through school and got a job, what I thought my, was my dream job at the time, in early intervention. So working with families, newly diagnosed deaf and hard of hearing children. And that was kind of at when my hearing, or I guess lack of hearing, was at its peak. Mm-hmm. And the tinnitus was so loud and so bad, the hearing was not there at all and so I it had just to drowned out anything that you could possibly hear yeah it, oh my gosh. yeah basically it would get if you're stressed or having coffee or anything it would get louder and oh. and not sleeping it would get louder so it was basically like a a spiral of just lack of sleep and I think a lot of newborn moms with newborns can understand that I don't have any kids yet but I kind of relate it to that because um you're you're not sleeping and you're kind of just going through the motions yeah so I applied for a cochlear implant which is an electronic device to help you hear and And it's actually surgically applied right yeah so it's a surgery it's a it's a big deal it's a big surgery and there's no guarantees if it will work, if it will stop the tinnitus. If, there's no guarantees at all. There's a lot of risks in getting a cochlear implant. Um, you can lose your sense of taste uh-huh. and smell. Um, it could, like, anyway, the surgeons that do it are very, very good, though. And so for me, the wait list was two years to get one here in BC. So. And at first, I was kind of in denial. I was like, I'm not d- that deaf. I've, I don't need one. I don't need a cochlear implant. No, 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 no. <laughs> but <laughs> I went on the wait list, and um, it got to the point where I wasn't working. And so at that time, I was 24. So I I was kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm too young. This is way too young to... Um, to not hear and to not communicate. I was basically cut off from the outside world because um, everyone was used to me being how I was. I can speak so well. So they wouldn't change and adjust how they communicated. Even, it was hard. Even the people closest to me would forget. Right. So having to remind them, um, look at me when you're talking and and turn down the TV, turn down the radio, that, those kinds of things. Um, so when I applied and got the cochlear implant, I, uh, that was 2016. And Wow. Yeah, so I, I got a call and said, there was a cancellation and we can fit you in in two weeks. Oh, my gosh. So how long had you waited at that point? Um, I had waited... Well, I had waited about, I would say, seven months. Oh, okay. Seven months. Mm-hmm. So not not too bad. And 
um, the bad thing was all my family was going away. My parents went to Mexico and my brother and his wife were gone. I forget where they went. And my now husband, um, Tyler, went on a bachelor party. (laughs) (laughs) Tyler. (laughs) But yeah, you obviously take it when the call comes that there's a cancellation. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you don't say no to that. No. So I had the surgery, and basically they drill into your skull. They take a part of your skull out and place in the internal component, which is um, electrodes that um, stimulate your cochlea and auditory nerve. And that those electric electronic impulses give sound into your brain. It's it's That's so insane. scientific. Yeah. It's amazing, though. Um, And so with that, I had the surgery. Very, very challenging recovery. Very hard. It took about two months to fully recover. Mm -hmm. And then you have the activation. And so that was on May the 4th. And um, So you recover completely before they turn it on? Yeah, you have to because it's a magnet. Oh, my God. If if they were to connect the magnet too soon, it would basically um, pull pull too much on the incision. Oh, my God, Kelsey. This is just crazy. Okay, keep going. (laughs) (laughs) So the activation, um, well, you know, have you ever seen those YouTube videos where – they're hearing for the first time. Yes. The babies or yeah, the Yeah, I, I cry in all of them. But you were saying that that's not really how it works. Right. Yeah. It's not really how it works. So, yes, there's crying for sure. Mm-hmm. But you're not hearing right away, basically. What you f- hear when they first turn it on, it sounds really bad. It sounds like echoey and sensory overload, basically. There's not really a way to describe it because it is, it's forced hearing electronically. Mm. So it's a weird sensation. And then. Do they, do they explain that to you so that you're not expecting like to flip a switch and be able to hear? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. They, they explain that to you. And they, they also say, you know, some people it takes years to learn how to hear. Some people it takes a few months. It all depends on how well you heard before losing your hearing or if that. If someone was deaf their whole life and then gets one, well, the clarity of what they're hearing isn't going to be the same as someone who has um, heard before. Right. So I was lucky in that sense that I had heard quite well before and those auditory memories were in my brain. And so when they turned it on... Um, it, it didn't sound great. It sounded quite robotic, but my brain was able to fill in those sounds that I was hearing and make sense of it. And so they, it takes three days of, um, kind of like rehab to go through, um, turning it on and listening to different sounds learning how to listen to sentences without lip reading. So he would cover his mouth, the audiologist. And um, 
he played a song on his iPhone. And he says, I do this with everybody. And I want you to just tell me what you hear. Just because music is a big thing. It, it Will you hear music again? And what will it sound like? And there's a lot of simulations online that are so inaccurate. It's horrifying. <laughs> but so when he turned on this song, he said, okay, listen. So I'm listening. And the processing time took a bit longer. So listening to it and I'm going, oh, that, that sounds like children. That sounds like um, children singing. Okay, yeah, they're children singing. And then I start to hear the lyrics and I go, oh, that's our national anthem. That's O Canada. I can hear the children singing O Canada. So the fact that I could hear children and identify what song it was, was huge. And the audiologist said that he had never had anyone identify the wow. song. Mm -hmm. Oh, and you're a true Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your patriotic nature. Oh, my gosh. And so were you, was that like, you must have felt like, oh, phew, like you're on yeah. your way. Yeah, so overwhelming. Because it's scary. You don't know what the outcome's going to be. So you're waiting for this thing to turn on and you're going, okay, is it going to stop the tinnitus? Is it going to stop the ringing? Am I going to be able to hear? How is it going to sound? And so with my other ear, I have a hearing aid. And so the sound, um, the brain took these two different sounds, one electronic and one mechanical, normal, and fused it together to be one sound. And when that, I remember that moment when it happened and it just kind of clicked because before I was hearing an echo of two different sides and it was amazing. The brain is just so fascinating. Oh my God. How long did that take after the implant, that moment? Oh, that was the second day. Okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So did the tinnitus go away or like when you have nope. the implant turned on, can you still hear the tinnitus? Uh, it depends on what's going on in my life. Mm. So if I'm relaxed and not much stress happening, then I'm not going to hear the tinnitus. But if I'm have if I'm sick, if I have a cold or uh, super stressful things happening, it's going to show up louder. <laughs> so it fluctuates. Wow! At least you know when you're getting too stressed. <laughs> right. Yeah, like, well, <laughs> time for a nap. Um, <laughs> That is just the craziest thing. Okay, so I want to ask about two things because, okay, so how long, sorry, was it seven months then that you waited, like that you just had the tinnitus and like nothing else, or was it longer oh, than that? No, sorry, the tinnitus was um, three years. So my hearing dropped, oh. and then it. there was a second time where things got really stressful with my old job, and it dropped again. And then that's when the <sighs> tinnitus got way worse. So three years from that point, and then seven months. Holy cow! Okay, so in that time, did you start painting the work that you make now, or was that after you got the implant? That was after. I okay. definitely stopped painting and didn't find joy in painting at all, and um, it was very hard because, like I said, I was cut off from everything. So anything that used to bring me joy didn't anymore and at this time we were living on our full home which we still live on today so that was perfect a very calming environment and all the blues and the changing of 
the tide and the seasons and really, really inspiring. So after I got the cochlear implant activated, I was, was given a renewed sense of hope. And so I started painting again. And I have a studio upstairs in the float home. And does out your house kind of move? Like, can you feel yeah. it? Can you can yeah. you feel it anymore? You guys probably can't feel it anymore, can you? Oh, you can feel it. Yeah. If there's a, a windy day and the, the waters are rough, you can definitely feel it. <laughs> yeah. But at first we would go to work and um, just go about on land, <laughs> as you do, and... Um, we would have sea legs, like we would feel the motion and be kind of spinning, going, whoa, okay. But that sensation has left. That's completely gone. Now it's fluid. It's normal. Okay. Um, so you're up in your upstairs studio. And so what kind of things, as soon as you, right after you got the implant and started painting again, what were you doing? Was it the blues and the, yeah. So I was, I kind of was like, screw everybody else and what they think. <laughs> And I went back to the Mylar because in between I was doing some commissions, some realistic stuff. And I went, you know what? No, I'm going to paint for me. This is my time to go back to what I enjoy. And so I started on the Mylar and was painting my surroundings, which is the blue river, the sky, the um, birds migrating. And I was painting abstract and so I remember the first painting that I did I call it my breakthrough painting because I wasn't thinking about it I was doing it intuitively and just using a smaller piece of paper and just gesturally painting what came out and um, when I was finished I looked at it and I went oh wow that's a really successful piece that looks that works, that works really well. And um, so that's when I had decided to myself, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this work. I need to listen to my heart and paint and give myself a chance at this. And so um, I, that summer, that was over the summer. I am. Was that 2017? Yeah. 2016 okay 2016 I um I was painting throughout that summer and hopped onto Instagram and found this amazing arts community on there I had no idea existed and that fall I decided to go back to work and so I as a teacher so I became a teacher for the deaf and um I have these two passions so I wasn't sure what to do with those two passions. Do I, how do I mold them together or do I keep them separate? So at that time, I had decided to, I'm going to keep it separate. I'm going to paint for three days a week, and then I'm going to do uh, teaching three days a week, which um, is a great medium of having teaching fund my art practice. Oh, right. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> yeah. So... I was doing that, and I remember when I sold my first um, piece of work through my website, I worked really hard. I created it from scratch and then launched a shop and sold my first piece, and it, that feeling was just so incredible. 
And I realized, yeah, I, I can't not do this. I have to keep going. And so my goal eventually is to become a full-time practicing artist. Um, but I think you, you know, are absolutely on your way. Your work is just, it's so beautiful. And then, I mean, a huge part I think of, of art too, and this is my favorite thing, is getting to know the artists and hearing their stories. It just adds so much more to their piece. Your work is already beautiful to look at, but then you're such an amazing person and your drive to, you know, overcome all of these obstacles and not you didn't give up, you know, well, you might have had a moment or two of giving up, but you got back up and you kept going, and it's just so inspiring. And um, oh, I have like no doubt that amazing things are coming. But w let's. What about your white noise series? When did that start? How new is that? Right. So my white noise series is what I'm doing now, and I started that. Well, you know, if I'm being honest, I have always felt this pressure to paint about my deafness mm. and um, even when I was hard of hearing before losing all my hearing I felt this need to share with other people and and educate almost and yeah so, well, you were doing the speaking and you were so involved in volunteering and everything that yeah but it was that internal pressure on yourself to make your art about it both actually oh, okay I would have people say oh you got to paint about this or you got to share it or even myself, I don't know how to, to translate that onto a painting. So I definitely tried while I was at Emily Carr, and um, I did paint about it, but it didn't feel right. It wasn't what I was trying to say. So I actually made it a documentary short instead. Oh. I used video. So that was that aside, okay, that's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it definitely was a very amateur documentary. <laughs> But um, so I always kind of felt that little like tug of you gotta you gotta do something with this, um, and especially after I lost my hearing, I I felt that strong pull, but I wasn't ready yet. I still needed to process what was going on, and so after I picked up the paintbrush, I painted about my surroundings. That was kind of um, a breakthrough series, and then. It wasn't until 2017, I would say the summer of 2017, that I went, okay, you know, I got I got to start working on this. I'm ready to talk about this. And I thought about it. Like, I guess part of my process is to, to think and to analyze and to have those thoughts kind of sift through and write them out. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that I wanted to talk about my deafness and I knew that I wanted to portray it through painting. Um, but I didn't know if I wanted to talk about the anger and the loss part or the, um, the, the emotion that it makes me feel after. So being part of the deaf community and being deaf. And so when I started, everything was so black and dark and I went, no, that, that's not what I'm trying to say. I don't want to say this is a negative thing to have happen. I want it to, to be positive because it is. It's not a bad thing to lose your hearing. Um, it's just that the world is 
a hearing world, so it's hard to adjust and to compensate. But if things were different, then it might be different. And so I thought about um, doing lines. And so at first I was doing black lines. And the black lines were were making sense at first, but they just they didn't feel right. I don't know how to say it other than a gut feeling. Mm-hmm. So one night I couldn't sleep. And obviously, I was thinking about this. <laughs> and I went, oh, my God, white. Why aren't I using white lines? Because it's white noise. <laughs> it's The tinnitus is essentially white noise. And so, I, that, yeah. And then did you fall asleep or did you get up and start drawing white lines? <laughs> oh, no, I fell asleep. Okay, good. <laughs> good. Yeah, I fell asleep. That was... Uh, yeah, so I went and figured out how to do these white lines, and the white lines are talking about my tinnitus. They're talking about sound waves and sound forms, and the white lines are fluid, and some of them are straight. Some of them have curves to them. And because when you look at sound waves or sound forms, they have they correspond to different frequencies, and decibels. So this is kind of getting a bit technical, but I researched into how a sound form is created, and the the um, I guess the more intense and the higher the peaks are, the louder the sound is, and the more the closer the peaks are together, the higher pitch the sound is. Okay. Well, so I I don't have a lot of sound coming towards my ear. It's um, is electronic. So I am deaf. So I figured that if I straighten out those lines, that's meaning not hearing as much. Mm. And so the sound forms are softer because the sounds are softer or in my case, um, in one year non-existent. And so, um, that was starting to make a lot of sense, but I, I wanted to add a painterly aspect because that's just, I love, to paint and so by adding the paint thickly with um, oil sticks and taking them away that contrast is was allowing me to feel that um, the materiality of the paint Mm -hmm. and so I was practicing with different layers and the lines and and it took me quite a while to realize wow this process is really meditative and so when I was in the zone painting, I wasn't thinking about what I was hearing or not hearing. I wasn't thinking about the tinnitus. And so what was coming out was very calm and meditative work. And so by looking at the work that I have now, um, I'm wanting it to be calm and meditative for the viewer, but it is talking about something that is so not calm and um, has a lot of mixed feelings towards it and the tinnitus which is an awful awful sound and so um, I'm kind of changing the dialogue about it and the tinnitus is opposite of the paintings are opposite of what the tinnitus makes me feel Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh my goodness have you spoken about this like within the deaf community? Like, have you shown your work and spoken about it? Um, I actually just gave a talk 
to the local University of British Columbia's audiology program. Okay. And next week, I am going to Ottawa to speak to deaf youth at a conference. Wow. And will you show your work, like, as you speak? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And have you had, because I was, this is like a throwback to, like, an hour ago, but when you were saying that you were at Emily Carr and you were trying the light boxes and that it wasn't received the way you wanted it to be, I was like, I wonder how it would have been received with a deaf community, you know, as opposed to art students who can all hear. And same thing, like, what is the reaction to your work from the deaf community or people that understand the deaf community? Um, it's quite positive. Yeah, and I'm sure. I'm, I'm just starting to get into the deaf community, and now that I know sign language fluently and... Um, to the people that I work with at um, in my teaching job are there's a lot of deaf people and deaf teachers so they are receiving it quite well but um, it's an interesting thing because there is within deaf culture there are deaf arts but a lot of the deaf art is um, it's very literal Mm. so mine being more abstract you have to kind of read into it a bit more and there is actually a deaf artist um christine sen kim and she's out of new york i believe and she takes um her deafness and sign language and abstracts it Mm. very in a very clever way but she's really the only other deaf artist that is conceptual that i'm aware of and so um i heard a quote recently that if you don't see your representation you are the representation (laughs) so I love that that must empower you yeah a bit scary too (laughs) yeah no but you're doing it like that's the amazing thing Mm -hmm. yeah I definitely feel with my deaf education background and then uh, my arts education background, I am taking those two and, and presenting it in a way that I am definitely happy with myself. I should also mention that the titles of my paintings kind of are important and give the viewer a lens into what I'm talking about. So some of them are like, um, you don't look deaf, or I can't hear you walking away, or eye contact. So the, I, the titles are talking about things I experience or other deaf people experience, uh, which is, there's a lot of weird, weird experiences that have happened. Like once I was at a party in art school and talking with this guy about that documentary I had made, and um, we were just talking about our art, and he goes, you know, I, um, I can heal people, and I've healed Uh, this woman's arthritis before and so you know if you'll let me I want to try and heal your hearing because you're not perfect in God's eyes and you you need to be healed Uh (laughs) uh-huh and so I I mean I grew up what did you say no thank you (laughs) (laughs) I was I wish I had a better comeback for it but I definitely said uh, what if God made me this way so that I could help other people 
who have lost their hearing or who don't understand. And <laughs> good he for didn't you. Like, <laughs> he didn't like that answer too much. <laughs> good for you. Oh my gosh. Oh people. Oh people. Oh but, people. Um, it's it's interesting because. I think one of the reasons I was scared to paint about my deafness is that I didn't want to be perceived as someone with a disability Mm -hmm. or seen as as different or lesser than. And when the deafness is viewed in society under the medical model, so you're diagnosed with something, you failed the hearing screening, you, you can't hear at the same, you can't hear normally, not typically and so with deaf culture it's viewed under the social model which is your deafness is just the way you are the way you were born Mm -hmm. and it's like um, having blue eyes exactly yeah Yeah. and many almost all culturally deaf people are proud to be deaf and they there's a word the term they call deaf gain which means it's a good thing you have all these benefits to being deaf, like um, being able to talk from across the room through a window, um, <laughs> and you are more visual about your surroundings, and you need natural light to see and to hear, and there's actually deaf architecture as well, so uh, it's a whole different world, but it's not one that's um, not valid. Yeah. I thought it was interesting, too, when we were talking about how you said that in the, within the deaf community, when you first started um, being sort of more part of it, that you weren't deaf enough, but in the, in the hearing world, you couldn't hear enough. So you were kind of straddling these two worlds. Um, have you sort of reconciled that in your mind now, like with age and with experience? Yeah, I that was definitely what was hard for me when I lost all my hearing. Because I was like, well, what am I now? Right. I'm not, I didn't feel hard of hearing anymore. And the terminology is an important thing um, in, in deaf culture because uh, there's the term hearing impaired, which is a no-no. You don't want to use that because you're not impaired. Right. You, you don't, you're not broken. And so there's the term hard of hearing, which is more positive. And then there's deaf with a lowercase d, meaning you don't identify with deaf culture. Then there's deaf with a capital D, meaning you do, and you're proud oh to be deaf. Oh, my goodness. You need a handbook and, about how to... <laughs> yeah, I know. And in my research, when I was doing my master's thesis, I uh, researched deaf cultures from around the world and how they perceive deafness. And I found that in South Africa... There's a woman there who um, coined the term deaf, but it's capital D, lowercase ea, and capital F. And the F meaning fluid. So you can be signing deaf, you can be oral deaf, spoken language, um, and you can move between the two, and it doesn't matter too much. And with now, with so many cochlear implants happening, it's, it's a good view to take on because I wonder if I had learned sign and was fluent in it when I was younger, I wouldn't have had as a challenging time when I lost my hearing and didn't know any sign. Mm-hmm. So by by moving back and forth and being both, 
um, signing death and oral death, like there's that. That might be more um, accepted. Mm-hmm. And I also learned that back in the 1800s, they banned sign language in schools. What? So they had this conference and they said, uh, we're going to force all deaf children to speak and not <laughs> use sign language in schools. And many people didn't listen to that. Then they still signed. But I definitely feel that that is what's morphed and changed into how we view deafness today. If we had not banned sign language in schools, then maybe now more people would know it and yeah. it would be more more prevalent. Oh, my gosh. I love all your research, too. It must have just been so interesting to tap into all of this. And did that come during your master's, or is this just sort of you being curious? That was definitely during my master's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, um, yeah sorry? No, you go ahead. Well, I, well, I was going to change the topic a little bit to Tyler. Okay, <laughs> and then I'm gonna, and then we're gonna do the not so speedy speed round. So I met your lovely husband when we when we met. Um, okay, so how many dates had you guys gone on before all this crazy like tinnitus started? Yeah, not not many. So <laughs> <laughs> I met him in 2013, and I let's say that was probably June. And then my hearing dropped in September. So we had just been starting to get to know each other. Oh, my gosh. And he did not go anywhere. So did you try and push him away during all of that? Like, if you were feeling like you weren't really part of, you know, like that you couldn't communicate. And he it didn't was, leave. Yeah, he didn't leave. No, we we stuck together. And that um, it definitely had its most challenging moments of um, being frustrated not being able to hear with his friends or with his family who I'm still getting to know. And I'm learning myself how to tell people how to communicate with me because I'm not quite sure either. Mm-hmm. And um, it was it was tough, but it also taught us how to communicate with each other. So um, it was... It was very good for our relationship because we learned how to talk it out. If I would be all quiet and not saying anything and frustrated, he he would just be like, "Okay, we can't we can't do this. <laughs> we we have to talk. What's going on?" And same for him too. And um, well, I think as we know, that's the foundation oh, yeah, of a relationship. Yeah, for sure. And so was he. Oh, but he was away at a bachelor party when you had your surgery. <laughs> Yeah, so he missed he missed the big moment, but um, that must well, have... yeah, it was it was okay. It was just the weekend. Yeah, um, he he what was there? They I think it was they were there for the surgery and then had to leave like two days later. Okay, and then so that's when my best friend, who's a nurse, stepped in, and then my aunt, who's also a nurse, and they stayed with me at the houseboat and. Oh. Um, took care of me that's amazing and then how long after all of that did you when did you get married in all of that we just got married this year oh congratulations thank you he's just the nicest guy it was so nice meeting you guys and hearing that whole story and I was just like it's a good guy you know like 
and and it's amazing that you that you didn't push him away too because you could have been like you know what new cute guy I just can't <laughs> like I can't deal with this and it's amazing that you've come out on the other end and um where your work is going and I love I love that you have bridged these two parts of your life like and I get why you might not want you know that you wouldn't have wanted to maybe at first um but I think it's such an important story that you're telling and it's probably like very healing and introspective for you too really yeah yeah it is I just did a mural last month and I oh my gosh. I painted my white noise and it was so interesting. It was very hard. I mean God, you know, you've done a mural. Well but. yours was bigger. I saw I saw it and it's stunning. Thank you. But I so I got my friend to come photograph me with this mural and one of the photos she took, I'm standing there and I'm basically engulfed in the painting. And I was looking at that going, wow, that, that's quite something to, to be painting about my deafness and then be standing there having Surrounded it all around by, me. Yeah. yeah. So does that mean you think you'll do more large-scale installation type work? Yes, I would love to do that. That's yeah. definitely something I'm starting to think about now. And um, Maybe it's time uh, to bring the light, the light boxes back in or something. Oh. Yes, I definitely want to start exploring light and how that impacts my work, especially with the mylar, because it's so translucent. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, basically, though, in my studio, it's quite small, so that's kind of constrained my artwork so far. It's painting smaller. Um, Yeah. Well, I don't know if you heard, I had Ola Volo on the podcast the other day, and um, it seems like from what I can tell, is you get one one um, mural, and then people decide you're a mural artist, <laughs> and you get invited to do bigger and bigger and bigger things. So I have a feeling that now that that exists in the world, and now that we've said it out loud on here, bigger and bigger, bigger, bigger spaces will come your way, filled with light and lines and all the stuff. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. That's yeah, what I I'd predict. be open to that. Yeah. Um, do you have anything coming up that you want people to know about, or are you just working away at the moment? Well, I this year has been a pretty big year. So um, my wedding, which is, oh, my God, that was a huge thing to plan. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I was working towards a magazine cover, and then I did the mural, and then we just did the address assembly together. Yes, that's where we met. And, um, yeah, so right now I'm taking a step back and refocusing and I'm thinking about the light boxes and I'm thinking about how to incorporate sign language Mm. as kind of the next step of, okay, I've talked about, um, the tinnitus and the deafness piece, but now I want to incorporate the sign language because my work is about movement. So the sound forms in the lines and the gestures and thinking about um, your body language and how mm. you you hold yourself. And so um, in exploring sign language and learning sign language at the same time, I want to translate that into some sort of painting or, I don't know, I'm still working through that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can't wait to see what you do. That is exciting. Yeah. yeah. And um, 
yeah, so this next year, I definitely would love to have a solo show or of some sort. That's a big goal. That's always been a goal, but uh, something I can hopefully make happen. Mm-hmm. Do you want, are you repped by a gallery or do you want to be? I would love to be. Okay, there, we have said that out loud too. Galleries, call her. You won't regret it. Okay, there, that's in the universe. Yeah, Yeah. when we were on our honeymoon, we went to Europe and I went to a gallery in London. So that's definitely a place I would love to be represented. Mm -hmm. Did you talk to them? I did, yeah. I need to um, keep pestering them. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's very exciting. And, like, not to be, like, I know I'm kind of gushing, but I totally think all of that is coming. Because you're amazingly talented, and your story is just beautiful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank um, you. Well, it's the not-so-speedy-speed-round time, Kelsey. Are you ready? Okay. Okay, yep. I think I know the answer to this first one. Coffee or tea? Oh, I'm going to surprise you, actually. It's tea. Well, that's it's what tea. I thought, because doesn't coffee cause problems? Yes. Okay. <laughs> but I'm drinking coffee right now. Oh, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I started, once I started teaching again, I started drinking coffee. <laughs> what about when you were in Italy? Were there, did you have to avoid espresso? Oh, no, I, you know, you just, you put up with it. Yeah, and, that's right. It's like, you know what, yeah. if I have to have the espresso and the gelato, so be it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, okay, would you ever live in a treehouse? A treehouse? Wow. Yeah. I would, actually. It, well, it depends. Does the treehouse have windows and electricity? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. It's a full-on, like, it's like a houseboat, but in a tree. Oh, wow. Yes, I would. I love being outdoors, and I grew up with the family going to the lake and fishing, and 100%, yeah, I would live in a treehouse. Okay. I figured if you would live in a house, but I was like, I don't know if she's going to be like, no, I need to be, like, on floaty water, or if you'd be okay up in the canopy. I need nature, basically, is what I need. Yeah. Sounds good. We always watch, um, my son is obsessed with that Treehouse Masters show. Have you ever seen that? No. Oh, it sounds like I need to watch it. Yeah, I don't know what channel it's on, like TLC or something. And uh, yeah, Treehouse Masters and this guy, Pete Nelson, he's hilarious. He lives just south of us in Washington and he builds these insane, like houses basically in the trees and they're stunning and there's always glass and he does different themes for people and Wow. We both need to sell a lot more paintings before we can get one of his tree houses. <laughs> but right after that, I would love one too. You're, you're putting it out there though. Yeah, so. Pete. Would you think Pete listens to Sorry for Your Ear? You never know. Um, okay. Oh, I think you might have answered this too. Who was your favorite teacher growing up? Or in oh. university or whenever? Well, I've had a few actually, but um, one who I felt was really influential in me honing in my work was Landon McKenzie. And she's a local um, artist. She's very well represented and she's a teacher at Emily Carr okay was she the one that um got you to question why you were on canvas yes Uh yes yeah yeah that's amazing it's it's just I I'm obsessed with the the thought about teachers and their power you know because you get one that says something 
bad or wrong at the wrong moment and it can change your life. You get somebody that says the right thing at the right moment and that can change your life. Like the power, you know, and now you're a teacher. And it's, yeah, it's a huge responsibility as is. a teacher to for to be careful with what you say and to to encourage and cultivate that and nourish the students mm-hmm. um, learning, right? right? I mean I know it's so important because you don't want to just like everybody gets a participation ribbon. Like everybody's great. Like it's so important to nurture. And, um, but you know, I have quite a few teacher friends and they're like, I mean, it's exhausting work because you want to give everything to every, when you're a good teacher, you want to give everything to everybody and make sure. But, um, I thought when you said that about switching materials, I thought, Ooh, now there's a good teacher, you know, instead of just like taking your canvas off the wall and throwing it on the floor and saying it's garbage. Because that happens at art school. To say well, why and to get you to question I, and think about it and, and make some your own changes, you know. Yeah, and not to say I didn't have those teachers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I did one painting that was during the architecture um, painting time. And I used oil sticks then as well. And I had this brown color. Uh-oh. <laughs> and you can kind of see where this is going. So the teacher was during an art critique, was looking at my painting and said, this, this area here, it literally looks like shit. <laughs> maybe and, that's what you were going for. Who knows? Oh, yeah, maybe, <laughs> except I was horrified. <laughs> Have you ever used um, brown oil stick again? Never, never, actually, which is, yeah, I should get over that, but I can't not think of shit every time (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh were you upset when that happened I I was because I wasn't thinking that when I was painting it I I was thinking something completely different so I couldn't unsee it once it was said so I definitely was embarrassed and for being called out like that and not having seen it right oh man well, you know what? At least you had the balance. At least you had somebody good helping you on the other side. <laughs> um, okay, and then the last question. Donuts or French fries? Oh, oh that's so hard. I love both. Um, I'm going to say, oh, I'm going to say French fries just because of poutine. Oh, see? This is why you were able to hear the anthem play with the singing children. <laughs> True Canadian poutine. Oh, yeah. I know. It depends on the mood, but I am such a salty girl. Yeah. But, you know, it really depends on the mood. I love candy that's, like, sweet and salty. So, oh, like, yes. or sour and then sweet. Yeah. So, uh, that's tricky. But it's funny because I didn't, know, like, know poutine until, I don't know, four years ago. What? I, yeah, I don't know. It just wasn't on it my radar. It is pretty East Coasty. Yeah, like it's it more is. of an East Coast thing. You yeah, can have I'm, it when you go to Ottawa. Exactly. I'm really excited about that. For have you ever had a beaver tail when you go to Ottawa? Oh, we've had them here. They oh, would okay. have them at the Peony. Right. That's that's like the deep fried. Yeah, um, donut like donutty with the sugar. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's so good. They I have them. Before. They have them in the uh, at the market in Ottawa. Okay, yeah. I'll have to go there. Yeah, might um, as well. I've, I've never been 
to Ottawa or Montreal. I've been to Toronto briefly, but I have, that's something I still have to explore. Oh, it's great. Um, I lived in Toronto for 10 years, and a lot of my family lived in Ottawa, so I'd go up all the time. And Greg and I actually got married um, just across the bridge in Quebec from Ottawa. Oh, wow. On the Gatineau River. It was so beautiful. So I have so many nice memories of, of Ottawa and all around that area. And Montreal is great, too. Wow, You and Tyler yeah. should go. It's a, it's a nice little, like, romantic, you know, especially when old Montreal. It, like, you get to kind of pretend that you're in Europe for a few square block oh, radius. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah. I'd love that. My cousins just moved there, actually. Oh, well, there you go. Perfect. And I think they're staying, which is sad, but... Uh, definitely should go and visit them. Yeah, see, now that you've got a place to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, those were all my questions. That was the whole not-so-speedy speed round. I think we did a good job covering your story. That was so great. I, I was, when we met, I just, I don't know how long we talked for. Yeah, it was a while. That was a it full was episode. A that, like, <laughs> I, I was just, like, so captured by your story. And so I'm so happy that you could come on here and um, I'll do a great big post so people can see your work and we'll put links. So if there's any links that you want me to share um, that have anything to do with the deaf community that where you think um, we're going to transcribe the episode and put that up so that people that can't listen to a podcast can read our podcast. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah. And so if there's anything else you want to include, just let me know and we'll put it at the bottom of the post. Okay, that's great. Yeah. And, um, yeah, because I want to say, like, I understand the full irony of being deaf and on, on a podcast. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I only was able to just hear podcasts last year. Wow. Yeah, and so when I found your podcast, I was just blown away because there's all this art and art information and artists and so inspirational listening to other people's process. So now I'm just all podcasts obsessed. <laughs> and how many of them have um, have it transcribed? None. 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 Okay. Like rarely. I found one and that is someone who I know and she is aware and she, she had it transcribed herself. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we'll do yeah. that for this episode. And um, thank you for making me aware because you just, yeah, if it's not part of your world... You just, yeah. you know, it, it, you don't stop and think about it. So thank you for making me stop and think. No problem. <laughs> thank you. Well, Thanks thank for having you, me. Of course. And um, this is going up this weekend. Like, is today Thursday? Yes. So this is going up tomorrow. So um, I cannot wait to put this out there and share your story and share your work and get you into a gallery and more installations and all of the stuff. So we'll go make it happen. All right. I'm excited. All Thank right, you. Me too. All right. I will talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. bye. See? So beautiful. If you haven't already rushed over to my site to see all of her work, get over to thegelscurator.com right away. It is delicate and moving and powerful, just like Kelsey herself. I cannot wait to see what is next for her. And seriously, if you're a gallery, call her. Thank you so much to Kelsey for taking the time to so eloquently tell her story. Thanks to Sachi Art for supporting this episode. And as always, thank you for listening. There will be more art for your ear next weekend. See you then.